we let's um let's stand it's wonderful to be here this morning let's just close our eyes we're just going to pray heavenly father when we think of the attacks on our nation just now god we come before you almighty god and we ask heavenly father that you would bring your comfort your peace to those, Lord, that are suffering just now due to the loss of their loved ones. All over the world, Lord, from Egypt to Iraq to London, Lord, to our very own nation, Lord, people, Lord, are suffering through terrorism and fear and anxiety and worry. Lord, we pray for those, Lord, that are in hospital just now, that you would be with the doctors and the surgeons, that you would give them extra strength and extra energy, extra peace, extra skill. We pray that you would bring healing and restoration of broken bodies. Lord, for those who are traumatized with post-traumatic stress and anxiety and worry and fear, Lord, has gripped them from the events of the last fortnight and particularly last night. God, we pray that you would come. And Lord, we ask that you would wake up your church in this nation to believe in the power of prayer for the protection of our nation, for the protection of our cities, for the protection of our church, for the protection of our families, for the protection of our lives, that you would cause us to rise up and seek the one who can help. Lord, we pray that your church would be a shining light where there is no light. We pray, Lord, that as the darkness increases, that your light would arise and shine. Lord, that we would be your hope to a troubled world. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Well, good morning, everyone. I just have to say, I don't think Becky's in just now, but didn't you just enjoy her announcement? Wasn't she just great and fresh and just very, uh, very Becky? That was beautiful. And today I'm going to be very Aaron, okay? If that's okay. Um, but yeah, today um, we're going to talk, if we could have the, uh, yeah, just get this. Here we go. We're going to see what does the Bible, what does the Word of God have to say to us in, in these moments. Because we're living in unprecedented days. You wake up in the morning and there's an alert, a flash alert news on your phone. And immediately panic grips your heart. Anxiety grips you. Fear grips you, especially when it's on home soil. Day after day, we're bombarded with bad news of, of, of terrible atrocities happening across the world. With so much bad news around we have to ask ourselves, is it possible to live with peace? Is it possible to live with peace in our hearts today? Is it possible to have hope for the future of our lives and for our children and for their families and for our nation? You see, we need to live in these days free from anxiety and fear and worry. But how on earth can you do that? That is the question, how can we do that? On the 27th of January, 2017, this article was written. It was called, Calm Down, Anxiety is Contagious. Here's a few words from that article. It says, like Ebola and people clearing their throats at the theater, emotions are contagious. And it's been shown that merely seeing someone stressed 
even a stranger can elevate your own levels of cortisol. That's the hormone in your body that's released under stressful situations or sleep deprivation, and it makes you feel uptight and anxious. Anxiety is conductive, argues designer Mike Montero. It wants to travel from one person to another. And at his design studio, they have a simple rule, stop adopting other people's anxiety. Once a client becomes anxious, Montero writes, their primary goal becomes to make you anxious um, because that justifies their own anxiety. And worry is a practice of trying to reach a state of serenity by engaging in precisely the activity that guarantees you will never get there. So you're hardly helping an anxious person by joining them in their self-defeating spiral. Imagine slicing your finger open, cutting a bagel, Montero writes. You freak out, you wrap it all up, you go to the emergency room, and do you want the doctor to scream when she says it, and, and, and aghast, and go, oh my goodness, what are we going to do? Quick, and panic. Or do you want the doctor to look at it and very calmly say, Let's take care of that. The truly compassionate thing, Montero says, is to be the calm doctor, which helps to keep your own worry levels in check too. Now, Jesus said in Luke chapter 5, verse 31, it is not the healthy who needs a doctor, but the sick. Now, Jesus said this in response to a question as to why he ate and drank with sinners and tax collectors because Jesus was the calm doctor. And we see in um, Mark chapter 4, verses 39 and 40, that Jesus was able to speak to the wind and the waves, and he was able to command them to be still and calm. And here's what it says in Mark chapter 4. Verses 39 to 40. When Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Silence, be still. Suddenly the wind stopped and there was a great calm. Then he asked them, Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? Jesus was able to speak to the storm and the wind, and the crashing waves. And he's able to do the same today inside of you. Because sometimes there's a storm of fear, of anxiety, of waves, of news, and trouble, and, and fear. And if my question to you, if Jesus is able to calm the physical waves, the physical storm, the physical wind, how much more can he bring calm to your storm inside of you? You see, people came to Jesus with all sorts of sliced fingers. They came to him with all sorts of troubles. And compassionate Jesus was the calm doctor who would calmly say, let's take care of that. Let's see that. But not only that, Jesus left and modeled an example that we would follow in his steps. And similarly, we would be the calm doctors on the earth today, 
multiplied thousands and millions of times all across the world. And Pentecost Sunday, then Jesus was ascended to the Father, and it was better he prophesied from Joel that in the last days my spirit will be poured out upon all flesh. And so that the spirit of Christ would not be contained in one flesh and one man and one geographical location, but the spirit of Christ, the calm doctor, could be multiplied many times and many thousands and millions of people all across the world so that people can meet the calm doctor when they meet you and they meet I who have the spirit of Christ inside of us. But how can we be calm and anxiety-free and fearless in troubling times? We know the Bible tells us that the truth shall set us free. But what is the truth? We know Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and life, and ultimately it's Him, Jesus Christ, that can set us free from anxiety and fear and bring calm to our storm. But what is the truth of the world of, of God that we need today? Well, the truth, it needs to be learned, it needs to be believed, it needs to be declared and spoken out, and it needs to be uh, walked out every single day of our lives. And especially in these tumultuous times, many times and multiple times a day, we need to put our faith into action. You see, when panic or anxiety or fear comes, and it does come, it does come, it might come in the middle of the night. It might come when you're trying to fall asleep. It might think as you're going down to the Cherish Conference, uh, driving down, am I at risk? I remember going to the London Marathon, and the week before there was uh, an explosion at the New York Marathon, and everybody was uptight and, ten, and, and tense. And I can remember thinking, wow, this is, this is a bit scary. <laughs> you know, am I doing the right thing? We're very vulnerable. And it does come, these thoughts and these feelings. When something small or large in your life happens that causes anxiety, your brain starts to go to work, doesn't it? Subconsciously, you don't even have to think about it. But it starts to ask, what if? What if a terrorist was to come to Scotland? What if they were to come to our town? What if I was caught up in an attack? What if this happens? What if, what if, what if, what if that happens? But we need to learn to switch the question and stop asking what if and learn to ask what is. We need to change the question and flip it from what is to what, from what if to what is. And what is true about God? We need to, the truth will set us free. And we need to ask what is true about God? Here's one truth that can be liberating and freeing if we truly believe it. That God is in control of my life. God is in control of my life. You see, if chance is in control of my life, then there is much reason for fear and worry and anxiety. If I am in control of my life, I am unchangeable. And some days I have good days and some days I have bad days. And so I do not have the confidence. I have reason for anxiety because I may not be strong. But what is the truth that shall set us free? The truth 
is that we sang this word this morning, and I don't know if you caught it, the word sovereign was in one of our worship songs this morning. And the truth is that God is sovereign, and that God is in control of your life. We got taught that as children, and many of you know that God is omnipotent. And we need to focus on this truth and understand this truth. Omnipotent, we were taught, was made up from two Greek words, omni, meaning, meaning all, and potens, meaning powerful. God is all-powerful. In times of uncertainty, we need to remind ourselves of what is certain. We need to remind ourselves of what is true. We need to ask ourselves, not what do I not know, but what are the truths, the solid truths that I know. I know that God is in control of the world. I know God is in control of my life. I know God is omnipotent. I know God is all-powerful. And this is frequently mentioned in Scripture, Psalm 24, verse 8. Psalm 24, verse 8. The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. Genesis 18, 14. And Jeremiah 32, 27 say this. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Let me ask you that, Vine Church. Is anything too hard for the Lord? See, this is a rhetorical question. And as you know, if you, if you went to your English classes, unless you skived them, a rhetorical question is asked in order to create a dramatic effect. It's asked in order to make a point rather than to get an answer. And what is the point that is being made by the rhetorical question? Is anything too hard for the Lord? The point that is being made is that there is nothing too difficult for the Lord. There is nothing too difficult. Ephesians 3 verse 20 says, God is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. Ephesians 3.20. God is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. And God is called Almighty in 2 Corinthians 6, verse 18. 2 Corinthians, God is referred to as the Almighty. And I will be a father to you. And you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Now, this is power-packed verse for anxiety. This is a power-packed verse for these days that we are living in. And it's power-packed with amazing truth that we need to live in, walk in, declare, believe, and live out every day of our lives because it includes the goodness of God as Father. And you are in a relationship with Him. It talks about He will be a Father. He is good and He is loving. It includes the doctrine of adoption by calling you sons and daughters. And we could spend a whole message, and I have done in the past, and we could do a whole series on that. But not only is God good, not only is His Father, you have been adopted into that family of a good and kind and gracious and loving Father, and you are His son and daughter. And not only that, it includes the description of the Father into whose family you have been adopted as the Lord Almighty, which means He possesses all power and authority. So, the truth is that you are sons and daughters 
uh, who are adopted into the family of a good and loving father who possesses all power and authority. These are the truths. These are what we know. These is what we must come back to. These are the rock on which we must stand. This is the anchor for our souls in troubled times when we don't know. There is so much we don't know. There's so much we don't know about the future. We don't, so much we don't know. But when we, there's so much we don't know, we must come back to what we do know. Uh, Revelation 1 verse 8 says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. You are adopted as sons and daughters into the family of a good, kind, gracious, and loving Father. He possesses all power and authority in your past, in your present, and in your future. He is almighty for you right now. He's almighty for you in your future. He is the unchanging one. What did Jesus say? I will never leave you nor forsake you. What did the angel Gabriel say to Mary in Luke 1.37? With God, nothing will be impossible. And Jesus said, with God, all things are possible. And because God is now your father, if you have become a Christian, if you have committed your life to Jesus Christ, if you believe Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior, he died on the cross to take the punishment for your sins, if you've chosen to turn your life around from worship of self and other things, created things to the worship of the one true living God and make Jesus Christ the one who you will worship, the one who you will learn, the one who you will follow in his steps, the one whose teaching you will listen to and put into practice in your life. And I want to just um, show you a video clip just now. Um, and it's of a, a girl called Sadie Robertson. And it's why she got fearless tattooed on her arm. And I'll just ask you not to judge her, because you may or may not believe that tattoo is a good thing or not. But I ask you not to judge her, but to listen to her message of why she got fearless tattooed on her arm. Please, Robert, just uh, play that video clip. So I got some ink. <laughs> I always sound so cool when I say that. But I got this tattoo. It says fearless. I got that tattoo and I never, the thing is, I was not ever going to get a tattoo. That was not for me. Like when my dad got tattoos, I was like, Dad, no, I don't like tattoos. And uh, then whenever I was struggling with anxiety for two years and just really, I don't even like to call it anxiety, I just like to call it fear. I'm just calling it what it is. I was just struggling with fear in general. I would wake up and I was scared. I would go to bed and I was scared. I would go through the day and I was scared. Constantly in this state of fear. But the Bible says so many times not to fear. But it was like I couldn't shake it off of me. There was just, there's so many things to be afraid of. Like, God, okay, you wrote that a long time ago, but like, look at the world now, I'm so scared. But I was just constantly making up excuses for myself. But the thing that I realized is it's not that things aren't scary and it's not that things aren't going to be scary. It's just realizing that God has already conquered fear. And there's so much more to this life. Like, even if somebody held a gun to my head, it's not that that's not scary. And it's not that that's not something that I should fear. 
but it's the fact that knowing that if I do get shot, I know where I'm going, and I'm going to a better place. And that's what takes the fear away. Whenever I began to trust God fully with my whole life, I, uh, it wasn't easy. I struggled for probably over two years with it. And real fear, I, would, I ran off of an airplane and told him I couldn't get off the plane. Like, that was, how, that was how scared I was. I said no to being on Dance with the Stars when I first called because I was so scared. I said no to major opportunities that could have shaped and changed my life because I was so afraid. And when the fear started, I guess, consuming me and controlling my thoughts and answering the questions for me, that's when I knew I really, really had to change. And um, the night that I changed, I was actually at a winter jam and I was backstage and I was about to go out and speak to 20,000 people and um, that was the night that ISIS attacks were in Paris and I, uh, I remember just praying and praying and praying and the security guard walked up to me and he said, Sadie, are you okay with going on stage tonight? And I was like, yeah, why not? And it was like fear never even crossed my mind when it normally would have just consumed me and I would have been like, nope, take the excuse and run. But I was just like, why would tonight of any night do I need to be on stage praying over our country, praying over those 20,000 people in there? But if I wouldn't have been preparing myself for that moment for the last two years, I think I would have just definitely backed away. So many people came up to me crying, telling me how that really shaped their life. I realized, wow, like there is so much that being fearless can, um, can really not only change my life, but change other people's lives around me. And uh, so I, got, I came home from that night and I got my tattoo and I was like, I never want fear to stop me from anything else in my life. I never want fear to say no again. I never want fear to even be a problem. And even if I even have that one little thought of fear, to be able to say no immediately and to do it. And so I got this tattoo in a place right here to where it's not for anybody else. It's not to be cool. It's not so people are like, wow, she's team tatted. It's just so I can turn this my hand around and see, no, I am living fearless, not because things aren't scary, but I'm living fearless in the name of Jesus. So I, I am uh, not recommending you all go out and get fearless tattooed on your arm, but I am recommending you do live fearless. And um, she has, uh, you know, what she talked about there was a two-year struggle. And that's more like faith, isn't it? It just doesn't happen overnight very often. For some people it does, and that's great, and I'm happy for them. <laughs> but my usual experience is something you've got to work at day in and day out and take the truth and apply it to your life. You see, God's exercise of power over creation is called his sovereignty. God's sovereignty is his exercise of rule over the world. He is the sovereign or he is the king over his creation. And this is a truth that's so important that we understand. It's so important that we believe it because it... Uh, it prevents a key error that many have believed down through the ages and still popular among some just now, which is called deism. And that basically means God created the world and then he abandoned it. He just left it to get on. He's created the world. There you go. And God is not actively involved in his creation. He's distant from it. And that is an error that we have to be careful. And it's, uh, it's when we believe in the sovereignty and the activity of God on the earth. But when you look at the world today, you can't understand why some conclude and are led to believe that God is not in control. Because often it doesn't look like God is in control, does it? 
It often doesn't look like control, God is in control of the world, and often it doesn't look as if God is in control of my life, because very often my life feels out of control. You see, you, uh, people ask the question, how can God be in control when terrorists are bringing death and destruction all over the earth? How can God be in control if I am diagnosed with cancer or a loved one is diagnosed with cancer? How can God be in control when children are being trafficked all over the world? How can God be in control when I have so much pain and stress in my life? How can God be in control when I have lost a loved one or lost a baby or have loved someone due to sickness? And that is a huge question, and it's one that I would not be able to answer uh, in a very short part today. It requires a message on its own. But it is, um, what I want to say is that when God created man, he gave them free will, and he gave them free choice. He chose not to make mankind as robots who were commanded to do his will, who were commanded he was a good, benevolent, loving father, and he invited people into a relationship with him to love him, to worship him, and to obey the two great commands to love God and to love people. And many have chosen not to uh, accept that invitation. Many have chosen to use their free will to deny God, to not follow his ways, not to love him, and not to love others, but have chosen instead to follow a path of hatred towards mankind. They have turned away, if you like, from their original purpose and vocation, their original purpose to reflect and represent God on the earth, to be image bearers, to be people of justice, to be people of compassion, to be people of love, because that is how they were created. And they were created to live and walk in relationship with the one who is like that. And because they turned away, they have said no. But God is sovereign. God is in control of your life. And God is greater than your thoughts. The truth is that God is omnipotent. God is all-powerful. He is almighty. He possesses all power and authority. And Genesis 50 verse 20 is a classic example of how we can see that God is still in control of the earth. In Genesis 50 20, Joseph says this to his brothers who had betrayed him and sold him. He says this, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. And we see here a classic example of free will and free choice that Joseph's brother made a choice not to love God and neighbor. They were jealous of Joseph, leading to hate. And we must be very careful of jealousy because jealousy leads us to find others who are jealous and brings in a desire to bury and to remove the person that the jealousy is directed towards. But the brothers, they committed evil deeds not worshiping God, not loving him, not loving neighbor. They missed their mark and their purpose and vocation to worship God and to reflect and represent. They didn't reflect and represent God. They weren't his image bearers of compassion and love, but they chose instead to, to, to do evil against their brother. But we, what we find in this story 
is that God is still in control. And God uses and can still accomplish his own purpose even through the free choice, free will, evil actions of others. And I want us to remember this truth that God is in control when we see evil and suffering and pain all around. And that's very difficult to see. And that's why it's good when we look back at the Bible and look at these stories and understand what God is like. But God can still accomplish his purposes and bring good out of the worst situation. Because the other example is the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. You see, in the crucifixion of Jesus, the free choice, free will of many was being used to um, bring harm and evil against Jesus Christ. He was betrayed. Many people were involved leading to the crucifixion, including the Jews, the Pharisees, the Romans, and even his own friend and disciple betrayed him. They had free will, they had free choice, and they decided to do wrong and not right. And now on Good Friday, as Jesus was hanging on that cross, I'm sure maybe in their hearts the disciples started to wonder to themselves, it doesn't seem like God's in control as our self-professed Messiah is hanging on the cross. It sure doesn't look like God is in control now. It looks as if evil has won. It looks as if darkness has won. It looks as if darkness has had the final answer. Surely God is not almighty or this evil and suffering would not have happened. Surely God is not almighty, not omnipotent, not all-powerful after all. Maybe they were thinking, maybe God created the world, but he's abandoned it and left it. Maybe they thought to themselves, surely God is not intimately involved with his creation. Maybe he's not fully in control after all. They have maybe have wondered all of these thoughts, as maybe some of us have thought and considered when we see darkness and disappointment all around. But what we need to come back to remember is the truth that no matter how dark Good Friday is, there's always a resurrection Sunday. No matter how dark the darkness, the light is always greater. No matter how deep the pain, the healing is always deeper. No matter how bitter the disappointment, the purpose is always sweeter. And no matter how much evil flourishes, God is still in control and can bring about his purposes. For from that darkest day in history, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ by the betrayal, the torture, the jealousy, the hatred, the rage, and all manner of evil, from that crucifixion, God was able to turn what man intended for evil and turn around it for good that many may be saved, as in the example of Joseph. We have a new Joseph in Jesus Christ, who Joseph was a, a, a shadow of and pointed towards the real Messiah. In Romans 8.28, we see it in the cross, in the cross, the crucifixion. We see the, this verse to be true, that we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. And this was so true for the crucifixion of Jesus. God worked for the good of Jesus and mankind through the death on a cross, through the evil free will actions of many against the Son of God. Jesus was, God was still in control and he was still able to bring good for what man intended for evil, God intended for good.
It doesn't make the suffering right. It doesn't make the evil right. It does not ease the pain of the suffering that Jesus experienced. It did not lighten the seriousness of the evil. It did not mean that God's followers were no longer to fight for justice and peace and an end to evil. But here's what it does mean. It does mean that we do not suffer without hope. And hope, do not underestimate the power of hope. Hope is the anchor for our souls, especially in troubled times. And you think of a small anchor and the size of a ship, that that small anchor can save the whole ship. That small anchor can save the shipwreck. That small anchor can save thousands of lives. That's how powerful hope is. If it's in the right person, if it's in Jesus Christ, and that's what I want to say as followers of Jesus Christ, that we take our light out from under the table and let it shine for the world to see. Because it's okay to have hope, but there's not much hope without Jesus Christ. All, all there is is wishful thinking and uh, hopeful desire, but certainly we have true hope, the true meaning of hope. That no matter how dark Good Friday is, there's always a Resurrection Sunday. And from the darkest suffering of the cross, God could still bring good out of it. And what came from the cross? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. The saving of many, like Joseph, the shadow of the one to come. So remember, the truth shall set you free. Remember, Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. The only one who can set you free from anxiety, panic, fear, and worry for you and your family. Now, hope comes by the power of the Holy Spirit. And at some Pentecost, we remember that pouring of the Spirit upon the church. Hope is something that we can learn the truths, we can speak the truths, we can have faith, but ultimately we need the power of the Holy Spirit to birth within us a calm. We need the words of Jesus to be spoken directly to the storm of our life and to the sea and to bring that calm into our life. And it comes through the power of the Holy Spirit. He's the way, the truth, and the life. The gospel, you see, we need to understand it, but we need to apply it. We need to apply the gospel. We need to apply the good news. We need to apply it to the nitty-gritty feelings and emotions of our day-to-day -day life. And so what do you need to free from? And what truth will set you free? And I'm bringing this to a close. You see, God is sovereign. He's in control of your life. God is omnipotent. He is all-powerful. God is almighty. He possesses all power and authority. You, if you have chosen to follow Jesus Christ, are adopted as his son and daughters into the family of a good, loving, generous, gracious, and benevolent Father. And that's why he taught us to pray, our Father who art in heaven. He's good, he's kind, he's loving. But remember, God is greater than your thoughts. We need to change the what if this happens and start asking, what is what is true about God? What is true about God in my situation right now? Because your situations will change, suffering will change, but there is one who is unchanging. 
What is true about God? How has God proven time and time again in your life and the lives of your friends and family? And that's why we must live as a family because sometimes you need someone else to remind you through their own experience, I was in a troubled time. I was in a difficult time. And this is how God proved difficult to me when my wife was diagnosed with cancer. I was thinking, what if, what if, what if, what if I lose her? But I started to come back and I got around my family and I told my family and they started to pray. And through chemotherapy and prayer and God and However he did it, he chose to do it. My wife came through the cancer. I want to tell you, you're going to get through. You're going to get through your struggle. Maybe in in a different way that God has planned for you, but you're going to get through it because we need each other to speak the truth, to remind us in times of difficulty, how has God proved faithful to this church? How has God proved faithful in your life? How has God proved faithful through the Bible? This is what we need to focus on. In times of uncertainty, focus on the certain. How has God proved to be sovereign? And how can I take those lessons and apply them to my suffering right now? You see the peace, as we heard in that testimony, sometimes it's not instantaneous. And each new, each new day becomes a fresh struggle. You can win the battle one day and you wake up the next morning and it's a fresh struggle again. Each day is a new battle. Each day is a fresh struggle to believe Yesterday was a victory, but today is another battle. We remind ourselves, yesterday may have been a victory, but today is another battle. If I could just have the band back up, please. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, Casting all our cares. This is from the Amplified Version. Casting all our cares, all your anxieties, all your worries, all your concerns, once and for all, on him. For he cares about you with deepest affection and watches over you carefully. Philippians 4, 6 and 8 says, do not worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace. People, I want to stir us to pray. I want us to stir us to pray. I want to stir you to pray for that peace to come. Then you will experience peace. There's something that comes before it. And it's when we lift our eyes from the situation. We turn off the news. We turn off the headlines. And we lift our eyes to the heavens from where our help comes from. We come back. We recalibrate. We find the rock. And we get back to Jesus Christ. And we come and we start to pray and tell him our worries, tell him our fears. And it says, then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything you can understand. It says his peace will guard your hearts. Your heart needs guarded. It's like a fortress. And what is it that guards your heart? Your heart is the wellspring for life. We need to take care of our hearts. From from the heart flows the issues of life. We must take care because it's been bombarded by fear. It's bombarded by anxiety. It's been bombarded by the news. So we need a shield. We need a guard. We need something to protect it. And what is it? It says, his peace will guard your hearts. And what brings the peace? Prayer. 
A disciple needs to learn to pray. If you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, we must learn to pray. <laughs> we must learn to pray. Just start, get around friends. If you're struggling to pray, you can't pray more than one minute. That's all right. Get, again, get around friends. We weren't always meant to pray on our own, you know. And it's much easier to pray in twos and threes and with other people. So if you're struggling in your prayer life, stop doing it alone. Get some other people in and start a, a corporate prayer time, maybe with your uh, spouse and other people. Sometimes you're struggling to pray. Sometimes it's a struggle to pray when you're in, under intense pressure. Get around. His peace will guard your hearts and your minds as you live in Jesus Christ. Okay. Romans 15, 13 says, May the God of hope, let's stand to our feet, fill you with joy and peace and believing. May the God of hope, see, he is the God of hope. And it says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope how can we abound in hope and days of hopelessness and despair it says by the power of the holy spirit you may abound in hope we have to live in the power of the holy spirit and we remember that on pentecost sunday we remember the outpouring of the spirit we remember Lindsay and I, when we lost Caleb, we remembered ourselves of what is true. We don't know this. We don't understand this. We have no idea why. But one thing we'll stand on, our God is a good God. Our God is still in control. It does not change the situation. Our God is able to make it up. And our God can bring healing. Our God can bring purpose. Our God can use every darkness for His purposes. So today, with every eye closed, I want to pray for everyone. If you want to just invite the Holy Spirit into your life afresh, to birth in you fresh hope, fresh strength, fresh power for these days, so that you would be you would spread everywhere the fragrant aroma of Jesus Christ, not fear. Listen, there's enough fear spreaders. The world doesn't need another fear spreader. It doesn't need another news teller. They've heard the news countless times. What they need is hope. And that is difficult to put that in language that our world can, but may God by his wisdom and power give us just something simple, just something easy, just something to be a dispenser of hope. For he is the God of all hope. And there is many searching. There's many searching for that hope. There's many searching for that peace. So I just want to pray for you. If you just open your hands and just say, Father God, on this Pentecost Sunday, we ask that you would pour out your spirit once again. Lord Jesus, I speak to the storm of anxiety and in the mighty name of Jesus Christ I say be still I speak to the storm of fear that is raging in some hearts and I say be still I speak to the storms of anxiety about your children and the world that they are being brought up into and I say be still 
He is your shepherd. He is the Lord. He is your protector. And I speak peace over every mind and heart in Jesus' name. And maybe you need to pray this through every day for the next 30 days. I want to encourage you to do that. Psalm 91. Let this be a prayer. Let this be truth. Be strong and powerful. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions or feathers and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. I want to encourage you, read over that psalm, but pray through every line. Pray. Keep saying it until you believe it. Keep and declare it. You need to declare it over you. Declare it over your household. Declare it over your children. Declare it and speak it over this church. Declare it and speak it over this city. And believe that our God is able. Our God is mighty. Our God is powerful. With every eye closed, if you do not know Jesus Christ today, He died upon the cross. He took the punishment for our sins. And if we choose to put our faith and trust into Him, if we choose to say sorry for the things we have done and turn our life around and choose to worship God, that means to put Him first, to love Him, to learn what He wants us to do through His Word. And we start to do it we start to put at his teaching. It says he will wash you clean. It says he will wash away. He'll make you a new creation. He will come and adopt you into his family. Today, if you want that, just repeat this prayer. Lord Jesus, I come to you. Forgive me for all the wrong I've done. Please come into my life. I ask you, Lord Jesus, I need you. I've searched everywhere and I cannot find the peace that only you can bring. I pray today, God, that you would forgive me. I pray today, Lord Jesus, you would come into my life. And I choose today to follow you and worship you. If you said that for the first time today, just put your hand up nice and high. Anybody say that prayer for the first time today and wants to give, thank you at the back there. Anybody else? Anybody else? Thank you. Lord Jesus, I thank you for this precious person, Lord. Surround them with your love. Surround them with your arms. Let your peace come to them right now. Let your love flood their hearts and souls. Lord Jesus, come into their life. Thank you, Jesus, for this new soul today. We bless you. We praise you. We worship you. If you said that prayer, just come and speak to me at the end. If you can, get, get a minute just to, or if that's too intimidating, just uh, speak with the person that you came with. And... Um, we will um, uh, they'll, they'll put you on the right direction. Try and come here every Sunday and learn what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Let's worship George Miriam. Thank you.